You're listening to the Gray Market Podcast, your daily source of watch and horology news, brought to you by the experts at Luxury Bazaar. Good morning and happy hump day. Today is Wednesday, February 1st, 2023. With me today, I have the guy who made Drake's new Rolex Daytona, Paul Newman, happen. He's the one that actually you know, helped facilitate the transfer of ownership from the original owner to Drake. I have Adam Golden from Menta Watches. Welcome, Adam. How are you? Hey, how's it going, Avi? Can't complain. Another beautiful day here. Yeah. Um, as you can see, I'm not I'm not in our regular studio. I'm in my office because this is the only way I can get it to work to um, do this kind of Zoom situation with you. I wanted to start by asking you, you know, how, what part did you play or how did this happen? How did it come about? How did Drake reach out? What happened here? Tell me the story. So to be fair, I didn't talk to Drake directly. Um, he has his watch people uh, that he deals with. Um, I was approached by Joey Kalika, who's the wrist watcher, um, to look for a, or if I had a uh, reference 6239 Paul Newman, it's the same exact version that Paul Newman himself wore uh, in stock, or if I could source one for him because a high profile client, uh, Drake, uh, was going to be getting it as a birthday gift, no less. Somebody was purchasing it for Drake as a birthday gift. Uh, as a, what's that? He didn't even buy it himself. Somebody was buying no, it No, 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 no. It's, well, it's actually, it's, it's interesting. So unfortunately, I literally had just had a perfect example in stock or a really, really good example in stock. But Joey was like a day too late, like a day too late. And it was a time crunch because his birthday was coming up in like 10 days or so. Um, so it didn't work out on this first example because uh, I just sold the watch. And I'm like, dude, I'm really sorry. And he's like, can we get it back? I'm like, and it's gone. It's, it's, not, it's not able to be repurchased. Um, but lo and behold... Roman and I, uh, shockingly enough, like two weeks ago, had been discussing with one of his contacts in Canada uh, about this original owner, Paul Newman. Um, we were going back and forth. It was a, the, the jeweler was the middle guy to the original owner. Uh, he knew nothing about this watch. Um, yeah, I'm going to pop on a picture of the original owner. It's this uh, sweet old guy that you, you, you met. Yeah, getting ahead of ourselves. So yeah, so that that's the original owner. But anyways, Roman's jeweler contact uh, had access to this guy. He wanted to sell the watch. Uh, his family and his kids didn't want the watch. Um, okay. Didn't know what to do. You know, didn't really understand pricing or, you know, he had a good idea of what it was worth. But uh, and the jeweler guy knew nothing about this watch. Um, he sent us a bunch of pictures and Roman's like, hey, do we have something here? And I'm like, listen, <laughs> the guy's had the watch since new. The crystal was scuffed up to all hell. Um, it was really hard to tell the condition of the watch. And so I'm explaining to Roman, Roman already knew, but I'm explaining to the jeweler guy because we're on the phone, three of us at like 10 o'clock at night on like a Wednesday. Uh, I'm like, listen, uh, if the watch has any defects on the dial, if there's a scratch that a watchmaker scratched it by accident, or there's a little piece of the luminous material, the loom that chipped off, like we're talking not just a few hundred bucks value difference. We're talking could be thousands, could be tens of thousands. Um, so unless we get better pictures, there's really nothing we could do. Um, fast forward, like another week, he gets, uh, somewhat, I'm like, listen, try to get the watch in your hand, take it by the windowsill, take some pictures of natural lighting as best you can, uh, because the original owner didn't want to like leave it out of his sight. And I, and I understand that's a valuable watch. And he wasn't used to the dealings, the way we do business, like where it's like, okay, you know, if you trust the other person, you could send them the watch even for inspection. You know, like if Roman or I want to buy a watch from each other, whether it's 20,000 or 200,000, we'll send it to each other for us to take a look before we have to commit to it. Cause we trust each other. Uh, this guy was very green. It was his only watch. So he wasn't going to do that. 
Uh, we got some better pictures of the watch and I was confident that we had a winner here just based on the extra photos we got, but still at that kind of price point, you need to be absolutely sure. Cause like I said, any small thing you miss could affect, you know, not only the profit that you would have made, but you'll be into, you know, the red very, very quickly. Um, cause the values swing wildly based on condition, especially on a Paul Newman. Um, let me, let me so, right there for a second, just sure. to get an idea of are you able to talk about the numbers or at least ranges of what we're talking about here? So we were talking in excess of 200,000, um, okay. like us purchasing it for 200, over $200,000. Um, gotcha. Continue. At that so, point, yeah. So at that point, it was where I'm, assuming you flew out, I'm assuming you flew yes. out to Canada to actually take a look at this. So at, at this point, like I'm working on my schedule. It didn't seem like on the seller side, it was a huge rush uh, for me to get out there. Uh, but also the longer you let these things linger, you know, maybe they talk to somebody else, you know, maybe they get a second opinion. So you don't want to let it linger for too long, but, uh, Canada is only like a Toronto is only like a two and a half hour flight for me, but still, you know, it's, I, I got to actually go and do it. Um, but at this point, Joey had stepped into the fold and he was like, look, I really need to get this watch, uh, for Drake, for this client, uh, to give to Drake as a, as a birthday gift. And I'm like, well, listen, I've been working with Roman on this original owner one out of Toronto. It looks incredible. Uh, but you know, I don't know if the stars are going to align because of the time schedule. Um, I got back on the phone with the jeweler. We were able to push the schedule up like a, a, a week earlier than I was expecting to go. Uh, and it, it, it was, I was happy to do that anyways, because again, I didn't want to lose the deal. You have to sometimes, you know, be aggressive on these things so you don't lose the opportunity. Um, and it also, you know, was, was good that we had somebody who was ready to purchase the watch. Should it be what we thought it was? Uh, so I fly out to Toronto. I meet with the jeweler, sit in his office. The, uh, the old man that you showed the photo of comes in with his wife. Uh, really, really sweet guy. Purchased the watch brand new in the 60s. Um, so he wore it for like 30 some odd years. And at some point in the 90s, he was in Munich uh, on vacation or a business trip or something. And somebody grabbed his wrist and they're like, what's that? And not because they want to steal it or anything like that. They were just, Oh my God, it's a Paul. Like how much do you want for it? Not that in the nineties, mind you, these watches weren't worth the worth today. Me, depending on when it was five to 10 to $15,000, like they were still very, very different from where they are now. Uh, but it was a watch that was gaining a lot of momentum and popularity at the time. Uh, and he was kind of like taken aback by that, he said, and he just, after that, put it in a safe and kind of forgot about it. Um, he had had it serviced twice at Rolex in Canada. Uh, luckily they didn't change a thing on the watch. The watch ended up being incredible condition. I mean, it was worn, you know, we're talking about a watch 50 some odd years old. Uh, it was worn for sure, but the dial was immaculate. Uh, There's no missing loom, uh, scuffed up crystal. Sure. Um, original bezel, original bracelet. It was really just like a collector's dream, you know? So at this point, uh, make the deal happen. Text Joey, like, listen, here it is. Uh, you could, we, we could sell it to Drake if you're another person. And I, I don't think I'm, I think I'm going to get a lot of shit. If I could say that on your podcast, if I mentioned who the person was buying it for Drake, I'll just say that it was a, a, a very famous professional athlete. Who is buying it to give to Drake as a gift? I guess it's nice to have nice friends because <laughs> nice. that's an awesome fucking gift. At that point, it was like, okay, I got to rush to get back home. And we're talking like now, like a 48 hour window. So I got to rush to get back home and then I got to get it to Joey the next day, which happened to be a Saturday. 
So it's like, okay, well, with this value, how do you ship for Saturday? You could FedEx overnight, but our insurance is not going to cover that um, for the full value because uh, now we're you know quarter million plus. Um, or we can milk it, and they're going to charge us an arm and a leg, and they charged us like I think it was like I don't know two grand to ship it overnight for Saturday, maybe even a little bit more. Uh, but wow. it was something that needed to be yeah, it was something that needed to be done. Uh, whereas your standard overnight Malka shipment should be at that value, like six, 700 bucks. Um, so anyways, we got it to them. Uh, the next wrinkle was, you know, and, and I told Joey from the start, cause obviously, uh, the people buying these watch, this watch, you know, the athlete and then giving it to Drake are not very well versed in vintage Rolex, you know? So they're paranoid. Like, how do I know what I'm getting is original, correct, good condition, um, and by the way, I got the original owner to write a nice little letter stating that he bought it in Toronto and he had it serviced in, only in Canada, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I was like, listen, obviously, uh, I stand behind every single watch I sell for life. You know, uh, if I tell you it's this, it's this for life. And if you find something different, return it at any time. Uh, you know, I personally sold a lot of these watches. You know, I know what I'm looking at. And I, this was one of the nicest ones I'd ever seen. Um, they obviously can't just take my word for it. So what Joey was doing was that he took it to uh, the Rolex AD in upstate New York, or I guess in, um, where is it? Where's Joey from? Staten Island. Staten Island. Thank you. Sorry. Strong a blank. Staten Island. Um, and they were able to take it to their watchmaker who opened up the watch, assessed it. And he even was like, wow, this watch is incredible. I've never seen one so nice. Wrote a whole little letter because they wa- originally wanted to send it to Rolex Geneva, because they Rolex now has this new uh, heritage department that will assess and evaluate your watch, but that takes that could have taken a year, you know. And we're talking we needed to get the watch for his birthday, which was on like Sunday. Um, so they got it to the watchmaker over the weekend. He checked out the watch, you know, agreed everything was amazing. Uh, I guess wrote a letter for the athlete who would be buying it to give to Drake, um, and that 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 was basically it. So you know. Both of us were kind of intricately involved in getting Drake that Newman, and I'm happy he got it because he's from Toronto. It came out of Toronto. Watch is an incredible, incredible condition. Like it's, it's like a once in a blue moon you find an original owner Paul Newman like that and in that condition. Usually there, you know, there's some small flaws and wear over the years. This really was an incredible, incredible watch. And I'm not just saying that because it's his watch now. It's it, it truly was. Uh, like I told GQ in the interview I just gave for them on this watch, I would have bought it regardless. It had nothing to do with Drake, whether or not we were, you and I, uh, you, uh, being luxury bizarre and us meant to watch is we're going to buy the watch regardless. Yeah. From, you know, from what I read, this watch traveled through Malka Amit or Ferrari express private jet, you know, armored guards. How funny is it? The fact that the watch was actually in Toronto and could have just been like, you know, hand delivered. <laughs> Dude, that's that's uh, honestly, and I said that too. But I think uh, it was delivered to him at, like a party in New York, anyways. Um, so it wouldn't have mattered if oh, okay. had to come back to the states. Uh, gotcha. But I, I said the same thing, you know, like, hey, I could just leave it in Toronto. But they wanted to vet it themselves, which I totally get. We're talking about a lot of money, and like I said before, uh, people who are not used to dealing in Paul Newman's. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of unfortunately bad watches out there, or you know, altered watches, or you know, a uh, mess with stuff. So they wanted to make sure that what they were spending their hard-earned money on was legitimate. So this is a reference 6239 Paul Newman. It is a, you know, white dial. They call it a panda dial with black registers. Uh, the 
interesting thing about this reference in particular, this exact variant, is that this is the one that Paul Newman wore. There are a lot of different Paul Newman variants because they made these what so-called exotic dials over different references. But this is the exact one that he wore. This is the same exact variant that was auctioned, you know, a few years back for seventeen or, or some odd million dollars. Um, so it's considered the entry level Paul Newman because for some reason it's the cheapest. Even though for me it's the most special because it's the one that he wore. Uh, but so by he wore, you mean him himself personally, or just the same exact model as he wore? Well, this is the same exact model and dial variant that he wore. So this, but like, not what you're looking one that was on his wrist. No, no, this is <laughs> that one. Are sold for like seventeen yeah. million and change, yeah. Um, yeah. in like 2017. Uh, but this is like a copy of it. Is my point is okay. that this is the exact reference and variant. So if you were looking at his wrist and my wrist in that photo, it looks at, at, at the same. Uh, and they made other variants. They made a black dial version as well. Uh, they made some with Bakelite bezel and then uh, ones with later screw down pushers as the Rolex Daytona evolved. Uh, but that's the one that he wore. And as you see on Drake's wrist right now, uh, mm. it's the same watch. So it's a special watch just because it's the one that Paul Newman wore. So when you're talking about the Paul Newman, like that's it, you know, that's the one. There's a lot of different variants uh, and other models and variants are called the paul newman daytona just because they have that same exotic dial but that's the exact one that he wore all right and can you get a little bit deeper into the numbers so he bought it around the two hundred thousand. are you able to talk about how much you sold it for or at least like what your typical margin on watches of um, this mag i mean so listen we paid you know we bought this in partnership together uh you guys were kind of like a silent partner on this uh, we paid a little over 200000 for it. I think I, on, on, I'm not being cagey. It's just I don't remember exactly. I think we paid like two fifteen, and we sold it for two fifty to Joey uh, you know, or allowed him to resell it at his cost of two fifty. dollars uh, So we had like a $35,000 profit margin or something like that, so somewhere around there uh, for us to split. Um, I don't know what Joey sold it for. I can only imagine that he added on another 5 to 10% uh, to the AD that was sourcing it for the athlete to give to Drake. Um, yeah. I, I can't, I can't speak to that. Uh, I can't imagine he threw on hundred K and was like, Oh, I want three fifty, but just cause a, he yeah. doesn't seem like that kind of guy to me and B it, it would have been such an out of left field price, you know, that it would have been looked really bad if they had done some research and realized that there's a lot of cheaper ones out on the market. Uh, it was a fair price for the condition. Um, had we not gotten it to give to drake you know what i'm saying had drake not been involved uh we mm -hmm. probably would have asked 285 290 for the watch on a retail level uh they're just very very hard to find in that condition and the difference in pricing on paul newman's uh when you're talking about a perfect example versus one that might have had a few flaws or just not exactly perfect can be a hundred thousand plus uh you could buy a very weathered uh scratched up and just average paul newman in you know like say the 120 to 150 range uh but if you want a perfect one you're paying 250 plus for that reference uh for that exact variant um there's a huge huge delta do you think that this watch will continue to increase in value given how obviously how limited it is how rare it is to find one in such good shape i mean so if, if drake or whoever let's assume somebody else purchased purchased it and they put it in a safe 10 years from now are we looking at a significant increase or steady? Yes. Yes. I mean, steady increase. Like these watches, 
uh, over the past 25 years have steadily increased. You know, like I said, in the 90s, they were 10, 15, 20 grand. And then they, you know, went up to 60 to 80. Then they went up to 120. And now, you know, uh, we're talking for great examples, 250 plus. Um, And the great examples are so hard to find, you know. Uh, and that delta that keeps growing between an average example and a great example is, is mostly because a they're very very difficult to find in great condition, uh, and b most of the buyers for this watch uh, can afford to hold out and wait for a great example, and they'd rather pay up to have it because it holds its value better better and it's more desirable. Uh, I got you know, so I, I think you're going to see if we look back at, at this interview or this podcast in ten years sure. and we look at the pricing, I think you'll see. A standard, you know, starter Paul Newman, like the one we're talking about now, uh, reach a half a million dollars. You know, it might take ten years to get there, but uh, it's something that, again, Rolex doesn't produce anymore. They're extremely difficult to find in good condition. Uh, it's the most recognizable and iconic Rolex Daytona I think ever produced, uh, especially because of the Paul Newman connection. Um, there's oh, there's collectors new and old. It's not just you know, like you, if you look at some vintage Patek, for example. Uh, the really expensive stuff. The guys going after that generally tend to be the collectors who've been doing this for a long time and they're older. Uh, that's not to say that there isn't some younger generation getting in the mix, uh, but it's primarily dominated by older collectors. When you talk about the Paul Newman Daytona, it's young, it's old, it's everybody in between. Everybody yeah. wants one, you know? So it's, it's I don't. Yeah, so I don't see the desirability uh, or the collectability of that watch going down anytime soon. If anything, it's just going to continue to go up and up and up. It's just such an iconic watch. Sorry. It's Let a grill for most people. Uh, not a Paul Newman. Nice. It is a Daytona. Sorry, let me. Uh, but it is not a Paul Newman. It is a reference 6265, so steel bezel with screwed on pushers, big red dial. Let me see if I can take it off and show you. Uh, so nice. not not a Paul Newman, but still a cool Daytona. Um, cool. The fun the funny part is is that when these watches were sold in the sixties and seventies, you could choose the Paul. It wasn't called the Paul Newman dial back then. It was just called an exotic dial, and there wasn't really much of a price difference between this normal dial. Um, and by the way, Paul Newman also had one of these with a Bakelite bezel uh, black dial, just non non Paul Newman, not exotic dial uh, that he wore as well. Um, but uh, back in the sixties seventies, you could walk into Rolex and pick whichever dial you wanted, there wasn't really a a difference. Just one was called exotic, one was not. Uh, It wasn't until Paul Newman started wearing it and the Italians posted a photo. There's like an iconic photo of him like like this, like holding his arm up like this where you can see that watch on his wrist uh, in the late 80s, I think, you know, when they they found that photo uh, until people started calling that the Paul Newman Daytona. Um, And that's when the popularity started skyrocketing. So... uh, if you had bought this watch in the 70s, you could have walked into Rolex and picked out this one or picked out the exotic dial one that now, uh, in this case, sells for around half a million dollars. Like, So if this watch on my wrist right now with screw-down pushers had a Paul Newman dial in it, uh, it would be around half a million dollars. Uh, and you could have picked out either one. This watch, as it is, goes for around like 70, 75. <laughs> so if you, were, if you were lucky enough to pick out the exotic dial one, uh, you, you're, you're a happy camper. But even that one is beautiful, and especially for seventy five thousand. I mean, that's a great watch, you know. And yep. compared to some of the models that are available today at seventy five thousand, I would rather have one of those because it's iconic. It's it's historical. I mean, right? Yeah, uh, that's why you see you see a lot of 
Uh, yeah, sorry, just, sorry to, to just to trail off that final thought. You see a lot of celebrities gravitating towards this in the 6263, which is basically just this with a black Bakelite bezel, uh, the big red model, or just similar models to that that are non-Newmans. And uh, there's, you know, I just saw uh, a guy from Ozark. Jesus, I'm blanking on his name. There's a picture Jason of Flo- Jason Bateman uh, floating around. He wears a 6263 as his daily watch. Uh, a bunch of celebrities, that they, they love this model because uh, it's classic iconic uh not too many people know it uh compared to like a modern daytona so it's a little more under the radar uh and it's not as crazy expensive as a paul newman awesome tell me where can our listeners our viewers find you uh you can find me on instagram at mental watches uh my website mentalwatches.com. i have a small youtube channel that roman uh yells at me that i don't work on enough and i'm going to get back on that for 2023 i promise uh, but yeah, uh, if you're interested, just drop us a line on Instagram or through our website. Awesome. Adam, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me today. I really hope you, you know, enjoyed just talking about the same thing you recently talked to GQ about, but I think our listeners are going to enjoy hearing this, how this watching the whole process that it went through to get onto Drake's wrist. Um, obviously the numbers. And if you are listening to this, if you are watching this, please make sure to show us that you are into this like subscribe review comment do whatever you got to do to show us that this is your thing and we'll continue doing them um have a great day i hope you have a good week i will talk to you you later bye thanks